0: right, we're there in Proverbs chapter 29, and uh, of course, normally on Sunday nights we've been going through the book of Numbers, but tonight, today being a special day, uh, I wanted to preach a different sermon, uh, so we're going to take a break from the book of Numbers, and we're here, of course, in Proverbs 29, and I'd like to just bring your attention to verse number 18. Proverbs 29 and verse 18, the Bible says this, very well-known verse, where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Over the years, I've preached a lot on the subject of vision. This is not a theme that is new to our church. And in fact, we host every year an annual vision offering. Of course, our vision offering is next week. And though I've preached on the subject of vision a lot, and I've preached a lot about having different types of vision, a vision for your family, for your finances, things of that respect, uh, I want to really... Teach on the subject tonight of where there is no vision and, and kind of dissect this verse and help you to understand it. And I think it's good. Of course, we're having our vision offering, and I think it's good for us to learn about vision and, and preach about vision. Let me just tell you up front this is not a giving sermon. I'm not going to be dealing with the subject of giving. We've done that enough over the last several weeks. If you're not ready to give by now, then I don't know that there's anything I can do to help you with that. Um, but I would like to uh, just speak on the subject of vision itself, where there is no vision the people perish, the Bible says. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. And if you're taking notes, and I do encourage you to take notes, on the back of your course of the week, there's a place for you to write down some things, uh, then maybe you can jot things down. These are just things that i gathered from this passage, from this verse, as I've uh, thought about it, and meditated upon it over the years. The first thing I'd like you to notice is the principle of vision. The principle of vision. I want you to notice just simply what the verse says. Where there is no vision... The people perish. Where there is no vision, the people perish. I think oftentimes people are confused as to what the Bible means by vision and what the Bible is speaking here uh, regarding vision. And I want to be real upfront uh, for you to know that when the Bible uses the word vision, it is often referring to uh, revelation or revelation of the Word of God, and there is a connection with this idea of vision and the Bible, or the Word of God. Sometimes, simply, the word vision is just referring to Scripture and to the revelation of God. I believe that this verse is talking about more than that. It's talking about having a vision for how things could be. But I want you to understand that when the Bible says here, where there is no vision, we need to begin with this understanding that biblical vision is derived from the Word of God. And I want to prove that to you. uh, But the first proof is just in the text itself, in the verse itself. Notice what it says. Where there is no vision, the people perish. And then there is a colon. The verse does not end there. There is a contrast uh, or a comparison. You'll notice in the book of Proverbs, this is something that is done a lot, where the writer will give make a statement, and then he'll make another statement to compare, or another statement to contrast. And here he says, where there is no vision, the people perish. And here's the contrast, but he that keepeth the law happy is he. I want you to notice how here, even in this verse, there is a connection between vision and the law. Where there is no vision, the people perish. That is the statement. And then the contrast is, but he that keepeth the law, or where there is vision, where the law of God is, happy is he so I want to begin by helping you understand that when we're talking about vision and obviously today if you read business books if you read uh, uh, books that have to do with uh, leading organizations or leadership or thing like that things like that uh, the secular world talks a lot about vision today and 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 companies talk a lot about vision statements and and having a vision for what you're trying to accomplish and I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that uh, I think that oftentimes the secular secular world and oftentimes the business world has ripped things out of the Bible and has ripped things off of God's Word in order to utilize it in the secular world. And, And again, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but I want you to understand when we look at this word vision in the Bible, we are referring to a biblical vision that is derived from the Word of God. A biblical vision that is derived from the Word of God. When the Bible says where there is no vision, it is referring to where there is no biblical vision. Where there is no vision that has been derived from the Word of God, but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. Now, you're there in Proverbs 29. Uh, we're going to be coming back to Proverbs uh, throughout the sermon, so you might want to keep your place there. But go with me if you would not mind to 1 Samuel chapter number 3. 1 Samuel chapter number 3. If you can find the 1 and 2 books, they're all clustered together First, a second. Uh, Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles. We had an entirely brand new uh, sound system installed, purchased and installed for this building. And everything came in... Uh, on time and got installed, you know, even late uh, yesterday, everything except for the two monitor speakers that are supposed to go here, and they're supposed to help me, because when you've got a system like this, you just, uh, you have to be able to hear yourself to be able to preach, uh, to be able to speak, uh, in a way that makes sense, so I, I hope that the sound sounds good to you. I'll just tell you up front that it sounds terrible to me and i, I it's, it's it kind of makes you feel like you're in some sort of a uh, warp or or, or uh, I don't know it just it sounds it sounds different. I'll do my best to preach in a way that's not distracting. I tried to fake it this morning and I hope that it wasn't it wasn't too much but I'll, I'll just be honest with you I, i'm I'm looking forward to next week when we have those speakers, Lord willing, by then, and uh, I'll, I'll have a better idea. I'm curious to maybe talk to the song leaders and see what they thought, how they felt. Anyway, I'm not sure why I'm bringing that up. 1 Samuel chapter 3. Look at verse 1. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. I guess I'm bringing that up in case you kind of see me being a little bit of a spaz. It's just the sound's messing with me. 1 Samuel 3, verse 1. The Bible says this, And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. Notice these words. And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. The word of the Lord was precious in those days. What does that mean? It was precious. What are Things that are precious, they are precious because there's not a lot of it. Uh, diamonds are uh, a precious stone because there's not a lot of them. There's a lot more worthless rocks out there than there are uh, diamonds and jewels or gold. And here the Bible says that the word of the Lord was precious in those days. Why was it precious? Because the Bible says there was no, notice the words here, open vision. There was no open vision. What does that mean? There was no preacher that was uh, openly preaching the Word of God teaching the Word of God. There's no revelation from God regarding Scripture. There was no open vision. Nobody was preaching the Word of God. And I want you to notice the connection there to the Word of God. And the Word of the Lord was precious in those days. And then God equates that to there was no open vision. So when we're talking about vision, we're talking about vision that is derived from the Word of God. A biblical vision must always come from the Word of God. Go to uh, John chapter 4. Do me a favor. Keep your place there in First Samuel. We're going to come back to that area as well. Uh, so if you would not mind, put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. First Samuel chapter number 3. I just, you know, when it comes this is a little bit of therapy for me. When it comes to new buildings and new situations like this, I, not, not only do I need to get used to the speakers, I got to get used to all of it. You know, I got to get used to the new platform. I love the pulpit. I designed the pulpit, but I have to get used to uh, preaching behind this pulpit. Uh, I have to get used to all of you. And the other building, you know, we had different sections and people were in different places and uh, all of it is kind of new to me. So, uh, you know, just bear with me as I get accustomed to these things. Keep your place on 1 Samuel chapter number three. We're going to come back to it and go to John chapter four, John chapter four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John chapter four. We're talking about vision and we're doing a little bit of a Bible study on regards to vision because we want to learn the principle of vision. What does it mean to have vision? Or more importantly, what does it mean to have no vision? And the first thing we want you to notice is that biblical vision is derived from the Word of God. If we're we're, going to have a vision that comes from the Word of God that we can apply to Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perish, then we must realize that it must come from the Word of God. It must uh, come from the Bible. But it's not just that. It's not just that vision is only referring to Scripture, although the, the, the word is used that way in Scripture, right? And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. But the Bible also uses this concept of not just having a vision derived from the word of God, but the word vision has to do with uh, seeing things the way that God sees them. When the Bible talks about vision, where there is no vision the people perish. The idea is that nobody is seeing things the way that God sees them. Nobody is uh, looking at things and thinking of things in the way that God would look at them and think of them. And in John chapter 4, I want to give you an example of Jesus trying to explain this or trying to use this concept with his disciples, where he's trying to get them to get a vision. He's trying to get them to see things in the way that he sees it. Notice John chapter 4 in verse number 35. John 4, 35 says this, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Jesus is uh, talking to his disciples, and he's uh, talking to them about the harvest. Presumably, he's they're standing or looking over a field because of the words that he's about to give us in the context seem to indicate that they're looking over a field that would uh, bring in some sort of a harvest. And then Jesus, as they're there and they're looking at this physical field that would produce some sort of a harvest, maybe a cornfield or something like that, he looks at his disciples and he says, say not ye, there are four months, and then cometh harvest. Physically, the field they were looking at, they would have said, in about four months, we can begin to harvest this field. We can begin to take the crops from this field. We can begin to take this yield. Jesus says, Say not ye that there are four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you. And I want you to notice the wording here. He says, Lift up your eyes. Notice the emphasis is on vision. Now he's telling them to lift up their eyes and he's telling them to physically look over onto the field. But I want you to notice he's trying to get them to see something that they're not currently seeing. In fact, he's trying to get them to see something that's not physically there. He's not literally talking about the physical harvest. He says, say not ye, therefore for, uh, uh, there are yet four months and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes. Notice again the emphasis on vision. And look, the emphasis on vision. He says, look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Is Jesus literally talking about going out and harvesting corn, going out and harvesting grain, going out and harvesting a field? He says, look, we're looking at a physical field, but what I want you to see is the harvest of souls that is out there, and Jesus is trying to get them to see something biblically that they don't yet see. So we see that biblical vision is seeing things the way that God sees them is derived from the word of god it's something that we take from the word of god and as a result of the word of god maybe we could all look at the same thing but as a result of what we see from the bible we would say this is what god sees this is how god sees it this is the vision that god has given us so when it comes to the principle of vision i just want you to understand when the bible says here where there is no vision We understand that what is being said, what is meant by that phrase, where there is no vision, is this. He's saying, in the instance when there is not someone who gets a biblical view of what God would want done or what God would want accomplished. In the instance when there is not someone who can see things the way that God would see them, derived from a biblical worldview, he says, where there is no vision. Then I want you to notice the second part of the principle. The first part is where there is no vision. And I want you to understand what that means. It means where there is no one, in the instance that there is no one, who sees things the way that God sees things, and that is found through the Word of God. By the way, let me just say this. The way that you and I get the mind of God and get the mind of Christ and begin to see things the way that God sees them is to get our minds in the Word of God. As we read the Word of God, as we study the Word of God, as we understand how it is that God thinks and what God sees and how God feels about things, then you and I can begin to have our minds renewed. It is interesting to me how often I talk to Christians who, and I think to myself, you have no clue. The way you talk, the way you respond, the things that you say, the the way that you're talking about this situation right now, just it's so clear that you do not see things the way that God sees them. You're not thinking the way that God thinks. Because when you and I begin to see things the way that God sees them, we will see them very differently. This is why the Bible says that His ways are higher than our ways, and His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So we see where there is no vision. And I want you to notice the second part of the, the, the phrase. The second part is this, the people perish. The people perish. Now you're there in, in, the, in the New Testament, you're in John chapter 4. I'd like you to flip back to John chapter 3 if you wouldn't mind. John chapter 3. Oftentimes when we think of the word perish, we often associate it with people going to hell. Now, that there's a reason for that. Um, the most famous verse in the Bible uses this word in the context of someone going to hell. In John chapter 3, in fact, before we read verse 16, which is the most famous verse in the Bible, let's read verse 15. John three fifteen: That whosoever believeth in him should not, notice the word, perish, Everlasting life, and as a result of John three sixteen, using the word perish, we often associate the word perish with somebody going to hell. Now, don't misunderstand me; perish is the correct word, and it's the right word to be used here, and uh, it's it's in the right context and all that. But I want you to understand the word perish means more than just that, and I'll prove it to you from the Bible. There's more to this idea. Of perish. You're there in John chapter 3. Uh, Go backwards into the book of Luke, Luke chapter number 5. You're there in John, just flip back to Luke chapter 5. And while you turn there, let me just give you a definition for the word perish. The word perish is defined as to pass away, to disappear, to be lost, to suffer complete ruin or destruction, to decay and disappear, to waste away to nothing. Now, when the Bible used the word perish in John 3.16 the way that it's actually being used is as the word lost. And if you remember from Luke chapter 15, the word lost is often associated with unsaved people. We understand that unsaved people are lost. They do perish. And when they die without Christ, they are lost in such a way that they can never be redeemed. They go to hell for all of eternity, and they are lost forever. But I want you to not just think of the word perish as meaning someone going to hell, although that can definitely be used in that context because that is the worst eternal loss of all, when someone dies and goes to hell. But the word perish doesn't just mean going to hell. It means to be lost. It means to pass away. It means to decay. It means to lose, to waste away, to uh, suffer complete. Ruin. Let me just show you how else it's used in the Word of God. Luke chapter 5, verse 37. Luke 5, 37 says this, And no man putteth new wine into old bottles, else the new wine will burst the bottles and be spilled, notice the words, and the bottles shall perish. The bottles shall perish. Now, is the Bible telling us here that these bottles are going to die and go to hell? It's not saying that, because well, obviously we're talking about just bottles that are filled with wine. He says, look, no man putteth new wine into old bottles, else the new wine will burst the bottles and be spilled. And Jesus is talking here about leather... These bottles of wine that are made out of leather, and of course we know in the ancient world they would put wine into these bottles. And when the leather was fresh, the the and the bottles were new, and the wine was new, the wine would expand, and the leather would expand with it, and and it would be fine. But if you would take New wine and pour it into old bottles. The old bottles had leather that had hardened, and when that wine would expand, it would burst the, 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 the bottles because the bottles were no longer tender, the leather no longer expanded. This is what Jesus is talking about. He says, "No man put his new wine into old bottles, else the new wine will burst bottles, burst the bottles, and be spilled, and the bottles shall perish." And I'm not necessarily preaching on that. I just want you to notice here when Jesus says the bottles shall perish, he's saying. The bottles are going to go to waste. They're going to be wasted. Look at Luke 13 and verse 33. Luke 13, verse 33. Notice how Jesus uses the word in this context. Luke's, Luke 13, 33. Nevertheless, I must, I must walk today and tomorrow and the day following. Notice what he says. He says, for it cannot be that a prophet perish out of Jerusalem. Here Jesus says, I have to keep going. I must walk today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be. He said, I cannot stop, I cannot quit, because I don't want it to be that a prophet perish out of Jerusalem. Is he saying that a prophet, referring to himself, is is going to uh, be lost for all of eternity? He's just saying it cannot be that a prophet would be lost out of Jerusalem. He says, I'm the only prophet right now preaching in Jerusalem, and if I don't keep going, then Jerusalem is going to lose a prophet. That's the way he's using the word perish. So I want you to notice that the word perish is not just referring to being lost to hell but it's just a word that means to be lost in general to be wasted in general to lose the ability to suffer complete ruin and destruction in general let me give you another verse go to second corinthians chapter four. Second corinthians chapter four and i, I i'm i'm really kind of hammering this out because i want you to understand what the bible means here when it says where there is no vision the people perish second corinthians chapter four now, you kept your place, I think, in 1 Samuel. I'd like you to continue to keep your place there. But also keep your place here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 4, look at verse 16. 2 Corinthians four sixteen. the Bible says this. For which cause we faint not. Notice what he says. He says, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. But yet the outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. He's talking about someone that's saved. And he says, look, though your outward man, talking about your flesh, though your outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. What does the word perish mean here? He's saying, saying, though your outward man waste away. Because the truth is this, your outward man and my outward man is going to waste away. We took pictures today, of course, many pictures for the new, uh, for the for the the big day and for the 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 opening of our building. And uh, I was home with my wife, and we were. Uh, Brother Oliver sent me over some of the pictures. And I was looking at the pictures, and I said to her, "I look like I've had a hard life. I mean, I just I'm not I'm not talking about drugs or alcohol. I just look like it's been a, it looks like it's been a difficult life for this guy. And 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 this is what this verse is talking about. Though the outward man perish. Yet the inward man is renewed day by day. So the word perish means to waste away. To begin to fall apart. To disappear. So let's go back to our verse. Proverbs 29, 18. When the Bible says where there is no vision. What does vision mean? It means a biblical view. To see things the way that God would see them. Jesus looked at his disciples and said, Say not yet for months and then the harvest. He says, "But." Lift up your eyes, he said, and look, he said, I want you to see things the way I see them, and I want you to realize that the harvest is here, that it's time to harvest. The phrase where there is no vision means this, in the instance when there is not someone who gets a biblical view for what God would want done or accomplish, the people perish. And that phrase, the people perish, means this, that the people waste away. That the people waste their potential. That the future of the people disappears, it decays, it's destroyed. And yes, even could be applied to being lost to hell for all of eternity. But it's not just that, because even saved people can perish. And it doesn't mean they go to hell, it means that they've lost and they've wasted their life. The principle of vision is this. If someone doesn't get a biblical view of how God sees things, then people will waste away. Lives will be destroyed. People will waste their lives. And what they could have done and what could have been accomplished will never come to pass. Go to Nehemiah, if you would. Nehemiah chapter number 2. If you kept your place in 1 Samuel, from 1 Samuel, you can go past 2 Samuel, past 1 and 2 Kings, First and 2 Chronicles, Ezra, into the book of Nehemiah. 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, Ezra, and Nehemiah. So we saw, first of all tonight, the principle of vision. The principle of vision. Where there is no vision. Biblical view, Seeing things the way God sees them the people perish. What does that mean? It means, yes, people die and go to hell. But it's more than that. It means that if you don't get a biblical view for the things of God and begin to see things the way God sees them, people in your life are going to waste away. They're going to be ruined. They're going to come to naught. They're going to be lost. They're going to lose their opportunities in their life. That's the principle of vision. And I want you to notice, secondly... What I see from this verse is not only the principle of vision, but I see the purpose of vision. The purpose of vision. And here's what I want you to understand. The principle of vision highlights for us the purpose or the need for a vision. Because if it's true, if it's true that where, that when and where people do not get a biblical view, a, a, the ability to see things the way that God sees them, in those instances when people do not get a vision, a biblical vision for what could be lives are wasted, futures are wasted, opportunities are wasted, potential is wasted, people even die and go to hell as a result. If that's true, which it is, then that should motivate us to have a vision. That should motivate us to get a vision, You should be motivated. Look, we're having the vision offering and our church has a vision and praise God for it. I hope that you will get on board with the vision that God has given us here at Verity Baptist Church. But I say to you that you need to have a vision that you need to get a biblical view of, of, of your life and the areas of your life that you need to begin to see your family and your marriage and your children and your career and your job and, and, and your opportunities and your potential and your life, you need to get a vision for, for how God would have you to see what he's given you. Because if you don't, you'll waste it. You'll waste opportunities, you'll waste potential, you'll waste life. The principle of vision highlights the purpose of vision, which is this. You need a vision. I need a vision. In Nehemiah chapter 2, I want you to notice that this is a passage in which Nehemiah comes back. We've talked a lot about Ezra and the second temple, and of course, Nehemiah is along with that group coming back from the captivity. Jerusalem has been destroyed. The temple has been destroyed. The wall has been destroyed. Nehemiah is coming back, and Nehemiah is coming back with a vision. He has something that he wants to accomplish. He is seeing things the way that God sees them. Now, I want you to notice, I think that this is one of the greatest passages in the Bible when we often refer to casting a vision. I have a vision for Verity Baptist Church. Oftentimes my job as a preacher is to stand up behind the pulpit and to cast that vision. To try to help you to see what the Lord uh, has shown me in regards to the future of our our church. And you should have a vision for yourself and for your life and for your potential. I want you to notice how Nehemiah begins. He begins with this idea of what is. How it is that things are. I think one of the reasons that people struggle with this concept of vision and the reason that people don't have a vision is because oftentimes people are like ostriches and they want to just put their uh, head in the sand and they ignore reality. And before you and I can begin to see things the way that God sees them and begin to see what it is that God would want, we first need to see things as they truly are. Look at Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 11. Notice what Nehemiah says here. In Nehemiah 2 and verse 11, he says, So I, this is Nehemiah speaking, came to Jerusalem and was there three days. Notice verse 12. And I rose in the night, I and some few men with me. Neither told I any man, notice what he says, Neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart. Here's a man with a vision. Here's a man with a broken heart. He's brokenhearted for the things. He sees them as they are. But he not only sees them as they are. He sees them as they could be. And he talks about the fact that God had laid something in his heart. And I just got to ask you the question. Is there anything that God has led, has placed in your heart? Anything in your life that you would say, I believe this is a vision that God has given me. I'm not talking about some charismatic Pentecostal, you saw of some hippie and you called him Jesus. I'm talking about a biblical view where you got something from the word of God and you said, yes, I see things the way God wants me, wants me to see them. He says, neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart. To do at Jerusalem, neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I wrote upon. Verse 13, and I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well to the dung pour. And notice the emphasis on vision. He says, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were, notice he doesn't sugarcoat it. He's just looking at reality. He says, I viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Look at verse 15. Then went I in the night by the brook, notice the emphasis on vision, and viewed the wall and turned back and entered by the gate of the valley and so returned. Look at verse 17. Then said I unto them, ye see, notice the emphasis on vision, ye see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste and the gates thereof are burned with fire. I want you to notice that here we see a man who has a vision but he begins by seeing things as they truly are and in your life and in my life we're just going to have to start looking at ourselves in reality and look at ourselves and say where are we in life how is your marriage actually doing how is your child rearing actually coming along How is your personal walk with God? How is your personal development? How's your soul winning going? How's your Bible time going? How's your prayer time going? I'm here to tell you, before you can begin to see things the way that God sees them, you need to start seeing them in reality. Nehemiah looks at the situation and he says, I've just got to be honest. The city lieth waste. You see the distress that we're in. The walls of Jerusalem are broken down. The gates that are over consumed with fire. He sees what is. But Nehemiah was not just a negative individual, a critical individual, someone who was there who just came to Jerusalem just to kick them all they down. He begins by telling them what is and then he tells them what can be. By the way, for those of you that uh, want to preach or preach or you, you lead in some sort of capacity when it comes to casting a vision, when it comes to casting a vision, you first have to tell people what the problem is and then tell them how to fix it. Tell them what the problem is and then tell them the solution. Oftentimes, all anyone wants to do is tell you what the problem is. All day long, people are telling me what the problem is, what the problem is, what the problem is. I'm oftentimes not looking for people to tell me what the problem is. I don't know what the problem is. Help me fix it. And here Nehemiah says, Look, you see, you know, you understand where we are. You can look around and see that we've been destroyed, that there are no gates, there are no walls, that the Jerusalem lieth in, in ruin. Then he cast a vision. Look at the last part of verse 17. Come and let us build up the wall. By the way, the difference between a manager and a leader is this the manager says, go, the leader says, we'll go. Let us build up the wall of Jerusalem. That we, notice the words, be no more a reproach. This man had a vision, not just for what is. He clearly saw what is, but he also saw what could be. Look at verse 18. Then I told them of the hand of my God which was upon me as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build, so they strengthen their hands for this good work. Notice the response from the people. Here you had a people that were living in Jerusalem. They saw the walls broken down every day. They saw the city lying in ruin every day. They saw these problems every day. They didn't think to do anything about it. They had no desire to do anything about it. They had no motivation to do anything about it. But then a man showed up with some vision. And he said, I see what you see, but I also see what could be. I see what you see, but I also see that we could be no more a reproach. And he told them of the hand of my God which was upon them. And then the Bible says, they said, they began to see what Nehemiah saw, and they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. Vision is an exercise in faith. It's seeing not only what is, but what could be. And again, I just ask you tonight, how's your spiritual life? Let's begin with reality. How are you doing spiritually, really? And then ask yourself, how does God see it? How would God want to see me? What would God's will for my life be? You ought to assess your spiritual life. You ought to assess your personal development. You ought to assess your marriage. You ought to assess your relationship with your spouse. You ought to assess your relationship with your children. You ought to assess your uh, children's development and how your kids are developing physically and intellectually and spiritually. You ought to assess your own career and business and your finances. You ought to assess your relationship with other people's, uh, with other people, friendships and uh, and church members and and things of that nature. You need to get a vision for your life someone said this a man without vision is a man without a future and you need to see what God sees because I here's what I know about you God sees something in you God sees a great potential in you God sees great potential in your children God sees great potential in your marriage God sees great things in you and you need to begin to see what God sees You're there in Nehemiah. Go with me, if you would, to the New Testament book of Philippians, Philippians chapter number 3. If you kept your place in 2 Corinthians, I ask you to keep your place there. You can go past Galatians, Ephesians, into the book of Philippians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. We talked number one about the principle of vision. What is it? Vision is a biblical view, seeing things the way God sees them. Perish is this, wasted, lost. And where there is no vision... Please listen to me. Where there is a dad that does not have a vision for his children, where there is a mother that does not have a vision for her children, the children perish. I'm not saying they die and go to hell, although maybe they do. I'm saying their lives are wasted. Their potential is wasted. Their opportunities are wasted. Where there is no vision, things are lost. Things decay. Things are wasted away. That's the principle of vision. That leads us to the purpose of vision. The idea is this. If it's true that where there is no vision, the people perish, then you and I need to make sure we have a biblical vision. So that things are not wasted. So that things are not wasted away. So that opportunities are not lost. So that everyone in our lives and everyone that's influenced and impacted by us can fulfill their redemptive potential. Then I want you to notice thirdly tonight, the pursuit of vision the pursuit of vision. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. In Philippians chapter 3, and I've preached a lot out of Philippians chapter 3, I think it's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. I want you to notice that here we see a man with vision, the Apostle Paul. I know you're familiar with this passage, but I just want you to see it. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12. The Bible says this, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, he says, Not as though I had already attained. I want you to notice that Paul begins with the same way that Nehemiah began, with a clear view of what is. Not as though I had already attained, meaning, Paul is saying, I know that I've not arrived. And by the way, let me just say this if the Apostle Paul has not arrived, neither have you, and neither have I. If the Apostle Paul says there's more for me to do, there's more for me to grow, there's more for me to learn, there's more for me to accomplish, then you and I need to have the same attitude and say tonight, I have not already attained. Look, we moved into a beautiful building today, but let us never think as Verity Baptist Church, well, now we've attained. Paul says, I've not arrived. He says, not as though I had already attained. Either we're already perfect, the word perfect means complete or whole, he says, but I follow after. I love that little phrase, I follow after. The idea says, he says, I'm still chasing that thing. I'm still chasing, uh, uh, trying to, uh, to, to fulfill the will of God. He's not chasing drugs. He's not chasing alcohol. He's not chasing fame. He's not chasing money. He says, but I follow after that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. I don't know if you understand those words or if you've thought about those words, but those are some amazing words there. You "You want to know what I'm chasing after? You want to know what I'm following after? Let me ask you. Don't please don't answer me because I don't want to know. What are you following? How do I know what I'm following? Well, for some of you, it'd be real easy. Just what are you following on Facebook? Who are you following on Instagram? What are you pursuing after and following? Because Paul says, I follow that I may apprehend. He says, I have something I want to accomplish. I want to apprehend. But then when you ask Paul, what are you trying to apprehend, Paul? What is it that you're trying to get? What is it that you're trying to grab? What is it that you're chasing after and trying to catch up to? He says, that I may apprehend that for which he says, also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. So you. Do you understand what that means? Paul says, I'm trying to apprehend Christ because I've been apprehended by Christ. I realize that the vast majority of Christians are not going to understand this and are never going to understand this. But there are some Christians, there are some people, And sometimes it's only for a short amount of their lives. But every once in a while, something happens in the life of a believer where they are apprehended by Christ. Where Christ becomes their life. And nothing else matters. Money and fame and wealth and music and all. these. None of it matters and only Christ matters. He says, I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. I pray that we'd have people in this church and I pray for myself that we would be individuals that have been not only trying to apprehend Christ, but have been apprehended by Christ. And then in that context, and by the way, let me just say this, I feel like God's been saying this to us over and over. I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. It's just the Apostle Paul way of saying what Moses said, that God had taken the children of Israel and he had borne them on eagles' wings that he might bring them unto himself. I am apprehended of Christ. is just the Apostle Paul's way of saying the goal is God. God is the goal. Happiness and joy comes in, in, in fulfillment, in living for Christ. Amen. He says, There's only one thing I want. It's Jesus. And when you and I get there, Makes a world of difference. In that context, he says this, verse 13 Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. He said, I've not arrived. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, all of that has to do with what is. You say, but Pastor, you don't understand. If you understood the way that things are, you know what the Bible says, and I'm not trying to minimize whatever you're going through or have gone through in life. I'm not minimizing that at all, but I am telling you this, that the Bible says, forgetting those things which are behind. And then he focuses on what can be, he says, and reaching forth unto those things which are before. See, he says, I have a vision. I understand how things are But I also see how they can be. I understand how things are. But I'm also seeing things the way that God sees them. And he says, for that reason, I'm reaching forth unto those things which are before. That reaching forth unto those things which are before is a vision. It's a biblical vision. The Apostle Paul, he says, I have a direction I am going. I am apprehended of Christ. But then I want you to notice... Verse 14, and this is really the key, or the secret. He says, I press toward the mark. And the word mark is a reference to a goal. That's the vision. He says, there is a mark. There is a vision. There is a direction. There is a way that I'm going. I see things the way God sees them, and I'm moving in that direction. I am apprehended. He says, that I may apprehend for that which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. He says, I press toward the mark. But I want to highlight for you this evening this word, press. The word press is defined as to move into a position by exerting continuous force. The idea is to try to push into something, to lean into something, to force into something, to, to work towards something. And that press, that word press, tells us about the pursuit of vision. Because here's the truth, you can have a biblical vision all day long, and you can even have a clear view of how things are, and how things should be, and how God sees them, and what God wants, and you can have a biblical vision, but unless you and I begin to pursue that vision, it means nothing. So he says, I press toward the mark. Someone said it this way, nothing ever came by wishing, it comes by working. Working. This, this, this beautiful building and the remodel that happened here, it didn't happen because we wished it. Now, we prayed about it. But we also put feet to our prayers and got to work. At least some of us did. <laughs> we also scheduled work days and actually got in here. Well, we, we prayed. We had a vision. We had a vision of what it could be, how it could be. We had a vision of what could be But we also have to press towards it. We have to work towards it. And I'm just here to tell you when it comes to vision, this is how it works. This is how it works. Because so often people look at other Christians that are further down the road and they say, wow, look at that great biblical marriage. Wow, look at how they've raised those children. Wow, look at the financial situation that individual's in. Wow, look at the health that that person has. Wow, look at the success that that person has. Wow, look at what they've accomplished. And they have this thought and they think, oh, they must just be lucky. It's not luck, it's work. It takes work to have a good marriage. It takes work to raise children for God. It takes work to do anything, accomplish anything, do anything great for God. It's work. You've got to work at it. You've got to press. You've got to pursue. The principle of vision is this. In situations when people do not have a vision, when people do not get a biblical view of what is and what could be, and they see it in the way that God sees it, then people perish. People are lost. Sometimes they're lost for all of eternity in hell. But even when they're not lost in hell, praise God, they can still waste away their opportunities and their potential in their life. Where there is no vision, the people perish. That's the principle. That principle teaches us that then you and I better get a vision. We need to have a purpose for life. We need to have a vision. And look, my vision, I have a vision for Verity Baptist Church. I don't need you to have a vision for Verity Baptist Church. You're not the pastor of Verity Baptist Church. But what, when you, if, if, if and when you pastor a church, you should have a vision for that church. But let me say this. You ought to have a vision for whatever area you find yourself in in your life, in your situation, with your family, in your context. You ought to have a vision Of what is and what could be. And then, and then, once you have that vision, you begin to work towards that vision. You press towards it. You pursue it. Because nothing ever came by wishing. It comes by working. Go back to Proverbs 29 and verse 18. Where there is no vision, the people perish. We've said it several times over the last several weeks because... It's been on my mind, and we've been, obviously, transitioning into this new property. But my wife and I started Verity Baptist Church 13 years ago in our living room. This church is the result of the vision that my wife and I had 13 years ago. My wife and I saw this church. Now, we didn't see you. Specifically. In fact, it'd be nice to not see some of you. But we, we would have never imagined the characters that make up Verity Baptist Church. But, but we saw this church. We saw that that there is an opportunity, that there was an opportunity, that there was a place in Sacramento that needed a church that needed we didn't see you, but you know what we saw? We saw the preaching of the word of God. You know what we saw? We saw uh, a soul winning army. You know what we saw? We saw that souls could be saved and we could knock on doors and get people saved and then follow up on those souls and bring them to church and they'd be baptized and they'd begin to grow. We saw a discipleship uh, uh, course. We, look, we saw this orchestra. We, this, this church, I'm not talking about this building, I'm just saying this church is the vision we saw. We saw a church with a homeschool group with a hundred kids in it. We saw a church that had a red-hot preaching conference. A church that had a next-generation youth rally. We, we saw a, a, a church that had a hundred soul winners, 120 soul winners going out uh, every week. We saw what God saw. Thirteen years ago, my wife and I, we saw this church. We did not see you But we saw what could be. Eight years ago, I saw this building. Eight years ago in 2016, we were walking around wondering where in the world we were going to go, what we were going to do. And I saw this building. Now, let me just be clear. I didn't see this building, although I did see this building. (laughs) But I'm not talking about this building. I just knew that God had a place for us. That's why eight years ago, a church with 100 people in it began to actively raise money. And I began to stand up before all of you eight years ago and began to say in our vision offering, we're going to begin to set aside money for a future building. And some of you laughed out loud. And yes, it hurt my feelings. (laughs) And you thought, a future building? We're going to purchase a building? We can't even rent a building. We're going to purchase a building? But I saw this building. And again, I didn't see this building. But it's interesting because eight years ago and, and for many years after that, I remember speaking to people, and I, I talked to my wife about it, but I talked to other people about it here in our church. And, you know, I kept telling people this. I just assumed that we, were, we would purchase a, a, some sort of a commercial, like a warehouse-type building, some sort of flex building, that like half warehouse, half offices that we would turn into a church building. And this is what I kept telling people. I kept telling people, here's what I see. I see that we purchase a, a and I kept telling people, it's going to be, it needs to be a building, I want it to be a building, I'm praying that it would be a building within these borders. No more south than West El Camino Avenue. No more north than, than, uh, than I, uh, not not I-80, but uh, just the, the border of, of Natomas. And this is obviously back when we were in Natomas. And I kept telling people, the furthest we will go is Norwood, on one side. And the, and the furthest we'll go on another side is, 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 uh, is, was West El, El Camino off the freeway on that side. And, and I kept thinking, I, I want to find a building in that area. And this is what I kept thinking, because there's a lot of, of, of warehouse sized building in that area. What I just described, what we call the big five zip codes, 95833, a lot of warehouse. Buildings. And this is what I kept telling people. Somewhere there's a building that we're going to purchase, and it's going to have an empty lot next to it. And I kept telling people, I don't know that we'll be able to purchase both the building and the empty lot, but I'm praying that God allows us to purchase a building with an empty lot, we'll purchase the building, we'll remodel it, and turn it into a church building, and then eventually we'll purchase the empty lot, and we'll turn it into a field for the children to play in. And here's what I'm telling you, I was was seeing this building. Not this building, but this is the layout that I pretty much said, this is what I'd like. And this is what we were working towards. Eight years ago, I saw this building. I didn't see this exact building. But I saw that God had a place for us. What I'm saying to you is this. Where there is no vision, lives are wasted. Potential is wasted. Opportunities are wasted. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision, in the instances when there is not someone who gets a biblical view of what God would want done or accomplished, in the instances where someone does not see things the way that God sees them, in those instances, and as a result of that, people waste away, waste their potential, disappear, decay, or destroyed, And yes, even sometimes, die and go to hell. Where there is no vision, the people perish. So where's your vision? What vision do you have? So I don't have a vision. Then get a vision. Begin to look at the areas of your life and ask yourself, where am I? How are things? And how could they be? How would God see them? How does God see them? You know, the Bible says in the book of Psalms about children, it says, whom we make make princes. You can make your child a prince, the Bible says. And the idea is this. Begin to look at your children the way God sees them. Begin to look at your spouse the way God sees them. Begin to look at your fellow church members the way that God sees them. Begin to look at these people out on the street and we knock on their doors and begin to see them the way God sees them. Because where there is no vision, the people perish. I hope you'll get a vision. Because I wonder, I wonder how many lives could be changed. How many people could be saved. How much eternity could be impacted. If someone would just get a vision. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do love you. And Lord, we thank you for this church. And I don't in any way, shape, or form want to take credit for the things that have been done here. This has been a group effort, and we have been co-laboring together with God. But Lord, I understand that everything rises and falls on leadership. As the pastor of this church, I need to have a vision. Help us not to get here and to think, okay, we're done now. We've accomplished. There's nothing else for us to do. There remaineth yet very much land to be possessed. Help us to have a vision for that. And then, Lord, I pray for everybody here, that they would get a vision for their lives, for their children, their marriages, their jobs and career, their health, their spiritual walk with you. Help us to get a vision to pursue that vision, to press into it. And that eternity might be impacted in an amazing way because of the things we do in pursuing what could be. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, I want to thank you for being with us tonight, this morning. This was a wonderful day, of course, here as we had our opening at Verity Baptist Church. We appreciate you sharing this day with us. And I'm looking forward to...